Hello, everyone, and welcome to Irenicast, the weekly podcast dedicated to conversations on faith and culture. This week, we have an interview for you conducted by Mona with Jesse Armerding, and he is a performer with the New York City group of Stomp. There's a lot of really great things in this interview. I encourage you to check out some of the links and comment on the show notes at irenicast.com slash 41. And also, if you have just general feedback for the show, you can do that at irenicast.com slash feedback. So without any further ado, here is Mona's interview with Jesse Armerding. Hey, everyone. This is Mona. I have a special treat for you today. We are interviewing my friend, Jesse, who is a performer on the off-Broadway showing of the show Stomp. That's a lot of words, show. Um, the stomp, if you're not familiar with it, is like this spectacular rhythm performance. And Jesse can tell you more about it. It's been going on for many years on Broadway and other parts of the country and in the world. Do you guys tour worldwide? Yeah, yeah. There's uh, and there's a cast in the UK, and then there's a touring international cast, and then there's a tour that does the states, and then I am in the show in New York, which is a sit-down show in the East Village in Manhattan, and uh, they've been at that same theater for 20-plus years. Yeah. Cool. And uh, I haven't seen your particular performance, but I've seen the one in San Francisco, and it was a lot of fun. So if you ever want just a, a kick-ass, just fun show, um, that's a great one. But Jesse and I are great friends. We go way back to college, and... Um, I thought it'd be fun to have Jesse on the show and just talk about creativity and maybe we'll get into talking about creativity and faith a little bit later, but just, you know, what it is, why it's important, why we, why we seek to create and what it means for our humanity and all of the above. So Jesse, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Pardon if I sound a little hoarse. I'm a little bit sick today, but uh, no, glad to be here. Thank you. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so do you want to just tell us a little bit more about yourself as an artist and a creative person? (laughs) A creative person. Um, yeah, sure. Um, so, I mean, probably the biggest thing for me is I'm, I'm a musician. I grew up, uh, in a pretty musical family and I started playing piano when I was about five and then like played guitar and mandolin and a bunch of different things in middle school and then ended up playing the drums. And that's, that sort of became my primary instrument, um, ever since high school. And, um, so, so yeah, music was always a big deal, but then along the way I really started, um, I don't know if I had to try to define myself as a, as a creative person or where, where my niche is. Um, I've always, Sounds a little corny, but always found myself at the intersection of music and story. I've always been a huge, huge fan of what those two things have to do with each other. I got really into like soundtracks when I was young, and I would even start writing out stories off of soundtracks to movies I hadn't even seen. I would sort of reverse, you know, do, do the reverse process that usually happens and ended up also ended up doing a lot of theater through high school and college and after college even. Um, I would do sound design. I would do band leading. I've directed shows. Uh, I've done some uh, a fair amount of acting. But yeah, I have always been involved or have been drawn to shows that, um, you know, they're either musical shows that are theatrical or theater shows that are very heavy on the music and also done like some small video work and stuff like that. Like I'm a huge fan of 
uh, trailers, for instance, because they, they to me are like are kind of like music videos, but with a lot more story. You know, you get like a snippet of uh, of a story, and music tends to play a huge part in it. So I'm a, I'm a huge fan of those, and would hopefully love to love to work more on them in the future. And so, but yeah, I've been playing music all along, and then ended up in Stomp, which has definitely put to use everything I sort of acquired in my arsenal as a musician and as a performer and as a as a theater artist. It's it's definitely requiring everything I have to uh, <laughs> it's uh, to to contribute to it, you know, um, which is a pretty cool feeling. It's it's pretty great to I think as any sort of artist to get trained in different ways and um, and sort of. I don't know. It, it can be tricky for people to find their place, and not that stomp is my ultimate place, but it feels pretty great to, after years of doing different things, have them all be really, really applied. Be in a room where it's like, okay, we need this. It's like, oh, I happen to work on that for these three years of my life, and then you know, a, lo- a lot of uh, a lot of instances of that. So I don't know how good a summary that was, but uh, that was fantastic in somewhat of a nutshell. Yeah, yeah, that was that was a great nutshell. Um, so what, what draws you to drums in particular? Like why did, why did out of all the instruments that you dabbled in and all the possibilities out there, like why drums? I mean, knowing you, it's such a good fit for you. Um, (laughs) it's funny. I've always said if I could live life over, I would play the bass actually. Um, because I mean, part of, part of the, the one frustration I always had with drums is usually you're sitting down and I like to be up moving and, Stomp has definitely solved that to a certain extent because you you really get to move around doing that show. Um, what drew me to it? <laughs> it's, I mean, it's a bit embarrassing, honestly. In middle school, I just wanted to start doing something else besides piano, and <laughs> drums kind of drums kind of required the least amount of work. It's like the percussion section was were was always. Uh, the lazy members of concert band. <laughs> I feel like you could just sort of slip in and like hide in the back and do it. Um, I thought you were going to say you wanted to get the ladies. Um, see, I never, I never got that because to me, the drummer is like always the, like the thug oaf of the band. So like <laughs> I never, I don't know. I mean, I know there's some drummers out there who I totally get are, you know, rock star lady killers or whatever but i always thought that was the guitarist or the singer or even the i, I thought the drummer was like last in line you know for, <laughs> for that kind of oh stuff. is that how it works okay yeah i, I wasn't know. aware I, of these stereotypes i don't know i just uh well yeah i, I didn't um <laughs> no the, the the answer is no i did not uh <laughs> seek it out for thinking yes this will this will get me stares from women um <laughs> but uh no, it was the it was the easiest one to to just sort of dive into, but then I don't know, but then I I did end up really I didn't end up really taking to it. Um it's funny you should say that though because I've been at the same time whereas I've I've really um yeah, I, I don't know. It it wasn't a very conscious choice. I just sort of did it and and it worked and I dug it. At the same time, I'm always, you know, like in stomp, I I miss melody quite a bit, you know. I miss other instruments. I I miss harmonics and stuff like that. And right now I'm even trying to do some more some more composing and stuff that I've never done before because as the drummer it usually tends to be an accompanying 
instrument. You can't very often lead a group necessarily, you know, because it's an additional thing to add to the music. I mean, it, it plays, it plays different roles, but it's tough to write material from the drums, you know, and in that way, um, it can be tough to lead. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, but it sounds like for you, like creating is much bigger than even getting a band together that the process of creating involves, um, in draw involves, like you said, story and theater and this kind of multiple ways of being and expressing at the same time. Yeah. I mean, as far as the, the music story stuff goes, um, that was just sort of all that, that's a very, that's just a very God given inclination you know that that wasn't anything I developed that was just really really naturally there and plenty of times you know I remember being at some concerts that I was really enjoying but usually all I could think of while it was happening was oh my god how much better would this be if this were exploding off of some sort of story you know if this was accompanying something and that's weird to say I mean I I like music in and of itself very much so and I would never dare to say it, it needs more, more than it is, you know, um, at the same time, that's just sort of where my spirit would go with stuff. Um, you know, I, I like, uh, I mean, music, yeah, I forget who said it originally, but, um, I think it was some, some famous, uh, some famous director, some famous film director, you know, said music in film tells you how to feel about the thing. You know, the plot is happening and the characters are doing whatever and music is going to tell you how to feel about it, or that's that's how it's used in in film. Um, and I guess I'm just interested in its power in that respect, you know, for good or for bad, or manipulative or not, you know, how that uh, how that works. But yeah, I do always want it to be. Um, I don't know. I guess the big picture matters. Setting always matters quite a bit to me, so that that. That affects me a lot, you know. Same time at a concert, I I could go to see a band that I really like, but if the crowd is a bunch of terrible humans and the <laughs> space is like, and the space doesn't feel good, even if like the AC is blasting, you know, it's like a summer concert and you're indoors or something like that, and that isn't, you know, in like a and like a shoddy space or something like that, that will really that'll affect my experience of it, you know. Mm. Um, so. Yeah, I've been to concerts where the band's just playing their butts off, you know, and just mm-hmm. really get, and the crowd is just staring at them like they're reading a eulogy, you know, it's like awful. Yeah, that's, that's come to be, that's come to be a significant part. Like I will or won't go to concerts now sometimes based on the crowd. Like there's this band's um, Primus. I don't know if you remember that. They're, they're still, they're still going actually, but they were a bit bigger should I say in like the late nineties, early two thousands, or at least that's when I was really into them. They were this weird artsy, but like heavy, God, I don't know how to describe them. It was like, um, the lead is this bassist named Les Claypool who plays these big six string wacky basses. And, um, they were, they were this hard hitting, you know, they had an edge to them, but they were really strange and weird and, funky too so it's like they and they definitely had this niche so i loved primus i finally got to see him i'd never seen him before maybe like five years ago i saw them in boston and oh my gosh the crowd was just the biggest bunch of tools i've ever been around (laughs) like they were they were just terrible they're a bunch of dude bros who are just so annoying and just ruined my experience it was awful and it's like (laughs) and i don't even mean like 
they were rowdy. They were just boring just, is worse than rowdy, like a million oh, times. Oh, boring is way well. I don't know. I would take boring over these people. Like these people were terrible. They were so 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 awful. And what were so, they doing that was so terrible? Like if they weren't boring, just just think of the most like obnoxious, annoying frat boy tool you know that you've ever come across, and just put put you know multiply them and put them in a concert hall. And yeah, have a, no, I, I actually don't want to think about that. Yeah, but yeah. So that's it makes what me I was enduring. it makes yeah. me wonder though, and this is maybe its own conversation. That um, and I don't know if it's just like where I'm located geographically, or the just the types of shows I tend to go to. But I've, I, I mean, I love to dance and jive to music too, and to to shows and concerts. But it seems like increasingly, this could totally be a figment of my imagination. But increasingly, um, crowds are less prone to like get up and dance and move around. And I wonder if it's like the the pattern of us. Um, consuming just such a large amount of media where we're not required to participate besides just staring. Like all of our participation is internal. Like think about the hours of television and movies we all watch a week that like you don't get up and cheer or dance around in your living room to a movie, um, even if you're really enjoying it. So like we've become really passive like experiencers, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean... I mean, as far as the concert experience goes, it's it's pretty crazy to think we won't ever go to a concert anymore where when the lights go down, there aren't a sea of cell phones popping up, you know, like that's just how it is now. Whereas before you just went and you were all just kind of there and you couldn't help but be totally present. Um, at the same time, I think, yeah, I mean, I think that depends on the show you go to as well. Or I, people I mean, recording the show, like videotaping it. Yeah, yeah. Instead of actually just being there, present. Like, presence is really important with art. Like, it really is. And I think we have a lot of reasons to not be present these days. I think it's, I think it's easy to, yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's a really hard one. And it's like, at the risk of sounding like a pessimistic old man of a person, yeah, it's, it's kind of... <laughs> I do think it's kind of sad and I'm guilty of it too. Like I have yeah, to resist too. pulling out my phone and getting a snippet of something, you know, like that I will intentionally do it because I know I want to be there and actually experience it, you know, but, um, but it's hard. It's, it's so tempting when you have, when you have the option. In fact, something I did recently, my first, um, so I'm in New York now and my first Lincoln center show that I ever got to see, um, this ties in quite well, actually. Um, when I talked about soundtracks earlier and writing stories and stuff, probably my biggest geek out of that nature was uh, this guy named Danny Elfman, who's a composer who composed all the music for, among other things, pretty much every Tim Burton movie that was that ever that he ever did. So he did, you know, Batman, Edward Scissorhands, um, Nightmare Before Christmas was all him. Oh wow! Um, so I went to a concert that they had of all of his Tim Burton music. And he was actually there. And he's the voice of Jack Skellington as well in the soundtrack. A lot of people don't know that. So oh, wow. he was there and sang that stuff with an orchestra live. So Whoa. so I was almost crying. Like I was in heaven because <laughs> this, this meant a lot to me. Edward Scissorhands is still my favorite soundtrack ever. That's and a great movie. Yeah, this was, it was so great. But I... I did. I, I pulled out. I pulled out my phone and I took a like a ten second video of one of the parts. I think they were like playing Batman. Um, I knew I wanted to remember it. I needed a snippet, you know. But I but I did that and then shut my phone off and then put it in my bag. You know, it's like I did, which requires a level of discipline, right? Because like you want to try to like document the whole thing and no, but yeah. I knew, but it was so great being there and I felt yeah. it and 
and it was really, really special to me. And thank God I, yeah, the discipline or the maturity level, I, I had enough of that to, you know, I, I, I wanted to get a second for myself, you know, so that yeah. I could remember being there, but then, but then put it away. Cause I really was loving it. And I felt like that, yeah, I would just be, I would be interrupting it if I did any more, any more than that. But So let's talk about what creativity does for us, like what it means to be enraptured. I don't even know how to ex- explain it. It's like one of those very hard things to explain, right? Um, and maybe you can better than I, but what it means to be taken away by a performance or a story or by, I guess, like art as as a thing itself, um, to be caught up in it. And, and why, I mean, a lot of times I think we think of it, art as like a fringe thing to reality or a fringe to existence. But for a lot of people, it's really center. It's like the reason to live. It's the reason to keep going. And it, it's the reason we can commentate on like political and social realities without an authority clamping down you know it's 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 it is in a very real sense a form of human freedom so yeah what what does it mean to you like that's what it means to me but what does it mean to you as a sort of as as a spectator receiving it or as the creator both it, yeah what does both, it mean I for guess. both yeah um where, where to begin with that um <laughs> i know it's a huge question I mean, no no it is i mean first of all i'll I'll be straight up honest and say I have no idea what art is or how to define it. And to be honest, I don't really care to. I feel like I can talk about the creative process and what making a thing means to me and what uh, sharing in making a thing means, you know? Mm-hmm. And I don't know when that becomes art or not. I I really don't. But... Um, I mean, first of all, to, to me, the process or getting enraptured or whatever, um, to me, I, I feel like that's much more broad than, than we usually allow it to be. Usually, you know, it's funny, even at the beginning, you even, I forget what you, you know, called me a creative person. And I, and I kind of chuckle because there's people I know that I regard as far, far more creative than I am who don't have what's labeled in our society, a a creative job, you know, and they don't do work that we've sort of labeled as, as art, you know, and stuff like that. But to me, they, they really are, they're what I perceive to be creative, you know? So, I mean, I guess creative just like defined by the need to create or something, the propensity to create. I just mean, I mean, something as simple as, I mean, you can get like really basic and literal and say, we're all here via creating i mean someone someone had sex with someone else and made us and and created us you know and and made us here and it's just like honestly i think like i think i heard jeff buckley say that in an interview like a long time ago um in his you know jeff buckley fashion it's just like if you spend a night making love that's a creative endeavor how dare you think otherwise Hmm. and i sort of laughed but then i just thought about it it's like well yeah i mean everything that's involved in me making a piece of meat, you know, the moves I make, the approach that I make, the choices that I make in terms of making something or being in a moment with someone that, that happens there as well. Um, you can be incredibly creative telling a story to friends, having just, just having a night with friends, like making um, a meal or making a, making yeah. a meal. Building um, friendships is an art form. Building, think, yeah. building friendships is creative. You make, 
you make choices, you know, choice making is like a big thing in, in creating. It's like, if you're on a path and you're making a thing, you're going to go this way or this way. You know, if you're acting in a play, if you're a character, you know, like what, what choice are you going to make in terms of how you go at this, you know? And, and those choices I feel like are made, are made all the time. And in that respect, I feel like I know a lot of people who live very, very creatively, you know? Um, and I mean, I, I aspire to be more like that. And in fact, plenty of them, I think, live far more creatively than people who produce what we call art, you know, or put out, uh, you know, pr- products or things that we can look at. That's super interesting to think about it that way. Because I think and if you define creativity that way is like you have to be present with the choices that might be available to you in the moment. Like it requires mm-hmm. a sort of attentiveness. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, I, and I, I agree with you. I've met people like at the bus stop who are just like fantastically and creatively dressed. Like I've never seen anybody wearing anything remotely like that. And you can tell that that person took time to express themselves and are really excited about it. And And I think that's... Like seeing art in our every single day to day experience is pretty tremendous in that way. And a lot of times, like I, I think in our like um, self esteem culture, like creativity gets checked off on a box, like as a personality trait, you know. Um, and I've even claimed this before. You're a very creative person. Like yeah, you're a special right. <laughs> flower. You like to create pictures, you know, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I have pictures that I've made like on my wall. I'm very proud of them. Like they're not very good, but I like them. Um, but, but creativity, actually what you're saying is like so much more profoundly bigger than that, which is, I just think you, I I just think you live it a lot. I think people, at least what I think of it and where I honestly value it most is where I see, I see people living it. There's nothing wrong with painting those pictures and there's nothing wrong with people producing stuff. You know, like it's, it's, it's really not, but, um, it's just not what I would label. I mean, put it this way: there's a lot that's being produced that I don't think is coming from that place, you know, from from that creative place. And yet, it's produced, and yet it has the label on it, and yet it's sellable, you know, and and yada yada. And and we need that stuff too. Um, I just don't think, as far as uh, but as far as creativity or witnessing it or anything like that being satisfying i guess i'm just trying to talk about the 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 root of it and you know you and i have had conversations about or i know you sent me articles on the idea of flow before and i think that very much has something to do with with the creative process um just in terms of finding finding your way you know finding your way into that state of being where creativity is flowing or you know in, in my opinion you're you're decluttering a lot of your so that things can, um, so that you can play, so so that things can flow out of you, um, so that you're not, so that you're not thinking so hard and picking it apart so hard. You know, kids are the most creative people on the planet because they don't have anything in their way. Like they're just like constantly flowing. You know, there's like nothing. They're not analyzing anything that they're doing. They're just they're just making it. You know, and we have like seminars and TED talks about how to be more like that, you know? <laughs> so I think, <laughs> yeah, I think we try to formulize how, it. <laughs> well, we're trying to, yeah, we're trying to, in our adult minds, it's like, geez, how do we, how do we get back to that? How do we, how do we retain that? Because I think we've, you know, realized in some part that it's where, 
real makings of stuff tends to happen, you know? Yeah. And I think the process even of judging like what counts as good creativity or bad creativity, that that judging process is super dangerous to creativity itself. Because if you're constantly like evaluating your own choices, like meaning like, oh, I drew this thing and I, I did it out of a childlike sense of wonder and flow and being present in the moment. But now that I stop and look at it, it's really b- bad and ugly and I am embarrassed of it. You know, so like that that process of second guessing can be, I, I'm not talking about if you're making moral choices, choices that like hurt or abuse other people. I'm talking about like so many people that I know that consider themselves non-creative and any little speck of thing they try to do co- toward a quote unquote creative thing, like or decision or something that's like personally expressive, they're very harsh on themselves. I know a lot of people in my life that are like, oh, you're the creative one. I'm not. And I try to do a thing and it's just not good enough. And, you know, isn't that we, we've gotten to a really weird cultural place with that, I think. I think part of that is it's kind of gotten a bit product based, you know, or it's kind of gotten like to do anything it then needs to be sellable in some way or it needs to be put out you know like it, it it's uh, commodified yeah it, it, just, it, it right. depends on it depends on the tag that you're that you're putting onto it you know kevin smith kevin smith uh has this great video where he's taking taking questions and someone writes in and it's like what would you i want to be a filmmaker how do i go about it and he's like all right i'll tell you get your iphone get a bunch of friends together write something and go film it and you're a filmmaker and he's like and i'm not kidding I'm not joking. Like you are a filmmaker. Like you made a film. Now you want to make a film and have people pay you for it. Okay. That's actually something different. Now that requires this and this and this and this. You want to make a film and get paid for it, but you want to make the film that you want to make and have people pay you for it. Okay. That's another tier. Like that's another thing that we're talking about. And basically he just is, is breaking down the idea of like, any of these levels is fine, but be brutally honest about what you what you want out of it. You know, I'm I'm struggling with this. I think all creatives do when you try to make it your job, or you try to even if you're or if you're trying to get attention from it. You know, if you're trying to get people to listen, or are you doing it just because you need to and it really makes you happy? I think in today's world, it can be really tough to do that last one. You know, whenever people whenever people play me stuff that they've that they've been working on and I can tell they're hesitant about it. Like someone's got a new, hey, check out this new thing that I wrote and they'll send it to me and I know that they're not very happy with it because they'll defend it for about 5 minutes before they give it to me, you know? And then I'll listen and it's like, "What do you think?" And I'll be like, "Well, what do you think?" That well, I think it needs this work and I think it da 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 and it did it, and they'll break it all down. I'll just be like, "Yep, exactly that." <laughs> so it's um, yeah, we're so pretty sort of like we are pretty harsh on ourselves. Like I think it is important to see where you can improve. That's that's a really important thing. Well, but it depends. It, it depends if, on your goals. You're right. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Like I I long for the time, and I don't think I'm in a terrible place creatively. But oh my god, what I would pay to be my high school self when I was making movies with friends where I had no end game in mind other than maybe making my friends laugh and making something that I thought looked cool, you know? Now, granted, nothing I made in high school 
made money. But if I could somehow stay in that state of being making stuff, ironically, that would be a lot closer to something that people would want to see than, uh, than currently where I have to battle constantly about like, okay, what is this, what is this going to be though? What is this going to be the end result? And is this gonna, what's this going to lead to, you know, sort of, it's kind of the perils of being an adult and it's understandable, you know, we need to friggin' feed ourselves and pay health insurance and stuff. Um, but it's a funny, it's a funny thing for that. Yeah. So it's, so yes, I, I completely second what you said in terms of, um, it depends on what your, depends on what your goals are and why you want to do the thing. And I guess I would encourage all of us to let them be smaller. I mean, I don't know. You've been to New Orleans, yes? Or you haven't? I forget. I have, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I adore that place. Yeah. I'll always go back when I want to. And probably the biggest thing I took away, I mean, I'd, I've been obsessed with the music that's come out of there for, for a long time. But probably the biggest thing I took away from it was going down and seeing music down there and playing music down there was I don't know how it works. Or I don't know what voodoo went on to create this, but it really is the big easy in that there's just no pressure in the air for it to be more than it is. Just these people are playing this music and it's great and it's beautiful out and we're here listening and maybe we're dancing, maybe we're not, maybe we're just around, whatever. But it is its own end game. There's nothing, there's no tension in the air of this needs to get on YouTube and get 100 million hits. Like it is just, this moment is great, this music is good, and that's that. That's all it has to be. And so there's no pressure. And because there's no pressure, I personally think that's a huge component of why that music is what it is. And it is magical stuff. You, you, you won't hear stuff like that anywhere else in the country. And, and I think that's a huge part of that is somehow they've found a way for it to, to just be, you know, and I'm not from there. I'm sure people, I'm sure natives could speak much more directly to it, but that was my impression, uh, especially playing in the streets and stuff like that, you know, um, that's so cool. Just, just the energy of it was, was that the, the end of it, the ends of it. Um, like means and ends are both pointing to like the moment and just being there and being together and enjoying what's being created right in front of your eyes. And it doesn't like that, that is, but that is um, certain art forms like music are bound within time. I mean, uh, the whole idea that you can record music and play it back later, and especially now that you can have millions of recordings at your disposal at any particular moment, and Mm -hmm. you can just call them on cue and have them with you in your pocket. Like, that's really historically new. What we have known for centuries is that music is based in time. You have to be present for it. And once it's done, it's, it's done. It's not like a piece of visual art that you can always see, even though that has like a space bound being being bound in in a space or a certain geographic location but music has this tremendous capacity to remind us to be in the moment because it it is it itself is fixed in the moment which is super interesting um what i hear you saying earlier though is like you were kind of making me think about you know that that question of goals and how a lot of times we see like goals as a hierarchy like first you know level one you're you're in your room playing music for yourself level two you're 
out at a club with a cover band playing music for yourself playing music for like with your friends level three you're writing your own music and performing at level four you're trying to get a recording deal you know just kind of like goes up and up and up till you get to the quote-unquote top but thinking about it (laughs) right that's how i think about it i don't know where that got built you know it's like some weird version of like a american music american dream or something you know yeah i I don't know but it's it's funny that's like get to the just the idea of like getting to the top like i just the, but those are all equally <laughs> valid goals oh, like sure. what you're saying yeah, earlier yeah. and mm-hmm. and it and it just reminded me that or or just kind of like listening to that it's it reminds me that every single one of those goals starts with playing for yourself in your room stuff that you like and you enjoy and finding ultimate joy before any of that other stuff comes into existence or before you chase anything else you do it because you find joy in it and it brings you into the present moment and you you feel a sort of connection to something greater than yourself or whatever whatever it happens to do for you um but you can never get away from that place of playing just play like human play oh you you can but you'll be miserable right i I think i think it happens it turns into something else once you get away from play it's just gonna be hollow any of those things, I mean, it's funny. I've, I've thought a lot about this idea and I'm, you know, <laughs> it's, it's sort of, I forget if I said this to you at some point or, or another friend, but I was talking about, you know, creative aspirations or endeavors. And I think I said, like, I don't just want to take someone to Rome on our honeymoon. You know, I want, I want to be with someone that I would want to take to Rome and for like I and I would be I want to be with someone where I would be happy to just be with them I don't know if I'm explaining this quite right but it's like basically if you don't you know how good is going to visit Rome with the person that you aren't just excited to be around so you know like it's sort of a hollow you're sharing this big amazing thing in this sort of hollow relationship or something like that whereas I'm now aspiring in in many ways just to find the person or the thing and let that be the starting point. Like that can be the hardest, that can be the hardest thing, you know, finding, and that's, you know, applying this to, to music, let's say just for an example, I think that would be, for instance, writing stuff that you really genuinely do like, or finding collaborators, finding a band where when you guys are just playing in a basement or making the stuff late at night, you really feel that satisfaction then going and recording something and playing at the place and doing whatever will be amazing and will be really cool. But aspiring to just play the Superdome or just tour this place or get a record deal. I mean, I'm sorry, but it just, it's just really silly when you, when you stop and think about it, it's like, I got a record. deal. It's like, what is, what if it's music that you hate? Like you got a record deal for this music that you hate and with a band that you cannot stand and don't get along with it happens really often and that happens all the time it's like how how good is a record deal if like if the heart of the thing is is like that you know like that's not worth anything except to other people seeing you and thinking you're this you know or whatever or thinking you're some sort of rock star you know it's it's such a bigger conversation about our uh, a culture of commodification that we just have these like these kind of celebrity and and celebrity. Yeah. And we have these ideas of, um, of structure that if we reach a a certain level that we'll be happy with it, but really that's totally and completely missing the point. 
Um, and I think of like, for example, like basketball players, like if you if you don't if you don't always enjoy the pickup game, even if you make it to the, the NBA, you could be totally miserable in that vocation, even if you have all that talent and all that skill, like if you don't actually enjoy it. Oh. Um, and, and I think about too like the structure that's implicit in that, like a lot of times I think because of our our culture that's geared toward commodification and making money and our education systems that have adopted a very standardized actually i think obama just today signed no child left behind yeah, out i saw that which is yeah. interesting but no child left behind and some of these governmental policies have caused our education system to become so standardized that they really have like a mechanization of learning and so we actually are taught throughout our lives to anticipate these very like solid sorts of categories and structures Mm -hmm. so that deviating outside of them like the idea of making up your own game or your or your new genre of music or your or a new type of instrument or a new way to play or recreate with your friends like making up your own structures is pretty um it's not even comprehensible to a lot of people and so we do we do have like it it, it takes a tremendous amount of energy to stop coloring inside the lines so to speak yeah I mean, it depends on how you grow up, you know? Yeah, and it depends on your school. I think it depends on your family a lot, you know? I think it depends on your parents. I think, it's, I think it depends how, how you're treated when you're, uh, when you're playing growing up, you know, and how that's, and how that's dealt with. I mean, I do wish I'm, – I'm not an educator, so I know very little about this, but I, I have always wished that there's a bit more emphasis on noticing kids' specific inclinations like – where is their energy going to? And I'm in no way talking about throwing out discipline or, or throwing out basic things that we need to learn to be you know, humans in the world today. But I wish there was more noticing on, okay, this kid is sucking in this area and that's important. We need to work on it. But man, he is always inclined to whatever. He's always drawing in the back or he's always, you see him after school, he's always working on this thing with his friends. Like to notice those inclinations and those passions you know, it's like, it's always better to work within a passion, you know, to, to get better at something and push through. I, it'd be really cool if the, if school systems had just had a way to, to support that, like, should they notice it? It's like, okay, you're working on that. I mean, God, like what I would have done if, and don't get me wrong, I, I actually had great, uh, some really great teachers in high school who are wonderful, but to, but to think if they had sort of noticed my music storiness and said actually Jesse for this quarter we're going to give you uh we're going to give you this assignment like we want you to make this we want you to make a theater show that's involving this and this and this and you can use these students to do whatever oh my god i would have been in heaven making a thing like being being productive and learning a ton you know? and learning a ton and not and not consuming, you know. I mean, we, you and I, were talking about Rob Bell a little bit and his and his ideas. Um, about yeah, I want to talk about that conversation not, um, in a sec. Um, yeah, I, mean, I just I, before you do before we go there, I want to mention a really great book that was really helpful for me along these exact same lines that you're talking about, and it uses a lot of case studies. Um, it's called Finding Your Element. Um, by Ken Robinson. And it talks about all these stories of famous people, how in their childhood they exhibited some sort of special talent and they had people in their life to say, you are good at that. We're going to help you foster that. Mm 
mm-hmm. and to see where they went from there. Like famous choreographers and comedians and writers. It's a really great book. It's I mean, some sometimes these books come across like very self-helpy, like you're special and everyone's special. No, it's like it's a really about the quest of like, how do we find what makes us tick and do that thing well? You know, so anyway. But yeah, I totally yeah. want to talk about faith because that's come up a lot in our conversations. Just the frustration of being a person of faith and feeling that a lot of faith communities clamp down on creativity and creative expression and only allow a very narrow range or they lose their sense of humor. Um, and <laughs> like, that's a, that's really a s- significant for a lot of us. It's like hard to stay in faith community because no one can laugh about anything. <laughs> but you and I recently were talking about a specific conversation between Rob Bell and who was it? Uh, Rob Bell is a guest on Pete Holmes's uh, podcast. Um, and the, this is an episode that. from 2013. And we'll po- okay. yeah, yeah, we'll post it on the show notes so you can go find it. It's awesome. And the podcast is called uh You, you Made It Weird. You Made I It believe. Weird. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which no, is great. Pete, Pete Holmes is great. Um I, I I think he's really funny. And I think he, he has some some interesting things to say. I, I'm sure he would piss off a lot of Christians, you know, but um Well he's he's a self professing Christian person right as far as i could tell from this conversation or a person of faith he's yeah i mean i i like him because or at least i guess i resonate with him because he i think he'll for it sounds like he'll forever be interested in the conversation you know and he's interested in and he's not anti the church you know and he has not thrown out the baby with the bathwater. in fact he has a phrase about that phrase that and i i forget what it is and i'll misquote it but he's not um He's not a hater, you know, he's, he's, he's interested, but he's, you know, he's, he's had his own experiences with, with the church, I think, and going to a Christian school. I, in fact, years ago went and saw the Bourne Ultimatum with him. My, my older brother was in school at the same time that he was, and we all happened to be in New York at the same time. And uh, it's funny to have seen him going and doing this now, and he's, he's like killing it. But yeah, so he had Rob Bell on, which was great, because Rob, because Pete isn't intimidated by many people, and Rob Bell can seem to talk to almost anybody as well um from, from where he's at he's not he's not an anxious guy you know he's uh it's i i personally like hearing him talk even though i don't you know i'm not uh in the same class as him i think in terms of a in terms of a person of faith but i mean i i was gonna bring him up just because i like his i like his focus i guess he's interested it seems like in like real big problems of the world and he's interested in bearing good fruit in terms of relationships you know in terms of being creative and actually making things he's i think he's more interested in contributing than he is making sure to not do anything wrong you know yeah Um, that's a pretty big distinction for me that resonated um pretty hard because i'll just try to i'll try to say this quickly for as far as the creative process goes, um, that's that's the closest thing, to be honest, that I have currently to a god or a or a faith, um, and that's just by me living my life. Is this creative process that I feel like I get in touch with? You know, when I'm lucky, I feel like I see throughout the planet simply by us having metaphors that we say ebb and flow when it applies to life, or we talk about a downward spiral, which is a physical thing with water and other objects like that. And yet we compare it to something that happens to our lives. Like the fact that those things even exist 
to me, or we say branch out, you know, like referring to a tree going a certain way, or we talk about roots of plants, and yet we're talking about things in our lives, you know. I feel, to me, all those things, the fact that those things exist like that, to me, I, I perceive those as a sort of, as a creative stamp. T- to me, that points towards a creator. To me, that's me w- witnessing a similar, uh, a creative process in like all facets of life. When you look hard enough, it's there in every single facet. And so to me, that's all pointing to something, to some sort of focal uh, creating or, or creator. And so that's why I, I guess I feel okay putting you know, at least whatever, whatever faith I have in, in believing, uh, that making things and creating and being active in that way is, is a good thing because it, it does feel, God, in some vague hippie way, it feels ordained and it feels like it's part of a, uh, it feels like it's part of the bigger picture and it feels like we're all aiming that all these things are somehow aiming towards the same thing or getting in sync with this ultimate creator. Um, That's really cool. I I like that a lot. And I don't mean to try to put you in some sort of theological box, but there is a strong Christian tradition around the concept of Imago Dei that we've talked about in other shows. Imago Dei is Latin for image of God. And a lot of people mm-hmm. focus on like, you know, you have God's image or God's essence and there's a lot of debates around that, but people forget about the being made part that mm-hmm. the whole point is that if you worship a God that, or or not even worship a God, if you kind of believe in or kind of try to be tapped into a God that values making and being together, um, then it does like inspire us to live more fully. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, I, Rob Bell is definitely someone who will, who will argue for living a full thriving life. Now, what exactly that looks like is where you get, and I'm sure you get into tons of fun, (laughs) <laughs> de- debating and, yeah. and doing and everything and I and and I get and at the same time I don't you know I, I don't throw the baby out with the bathwater the other way either you know I'm I'm someone who does believe in the value of of discipline and thinks there is a place for structure you know but but I think um I do think that needs to be balanced with other things and I don't think it's the ultimate point I think those things are there like here's a good musical parallel you know you can do I can do exercises on the drums you know I can practice for hours a day these specific exercises that are apparently there to build up my muscles and build up my rhythmic sensibility and ability to play or whatever but we've all been to those shows where it feels like or seen that video where it's where it feels like someone is just playing their exercises for us and it's like look I'm doing it look, I'm doing it right. Look how many hours I put in. Look at the thing I did. And you want to say to them, you're like, okay, I don't really care. Like that doesn't matter to me. Like that's not the point. These things are, these things are tools and tools are used to make something. So don't make the two. And this happens a lot. And it's why I like the music and art that I like is when is one of you know I'm a huge Tom Waits fan and a lot of people hate. How can you like Tom Waits? He sings terribly and the music sounds like this and da, 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 da. I like it because I feel a lot of soul in it and I don't care as much. It's like, yes, you're right. This thing isn't correct by some 
tutelage that you got, you know, yada, yada, yada. But that tutelage is only so good if it helps you make the thing that moves us, that tells a story or that makes us dance or that is that we just find beautiful, you know. Like this isn't, you're not in school anymore. You know, you're not going to get an A on this for playing this thing perfectly in public. That's not, that's not the point. That's not the point. And I think it gets made, I think it gets made the point quite a bit. And so for me, I started practicing differently as the years went on. Instead of, I still practice technically, that's really important. But that for me very much needs to be combined with how do I practice playing how do I practice getting into a space where I really am flowing, you know? And that's a much weirder thing. I think it's easy to be uh, a fundamentalist in a lot of ways because of that, because it's easy. It is easy to like, I'm going to do these exercises for this long that are like this, da 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 da, and that's it, you know? But then you're not having to like do anything with your soul, you know? <laughs> you're just. So why is the soul engagement important? And sure, there are there are types of art that have less uh, soul necessary, I suppose you could say. And you know, I'm thinking I've been thinking about this whole conversation back to um, a documentary I watched about Picasso. And Picasso, many people don't know, like people just know like the misshapen sort of weird heads with like two eyes on one side of the face, right? Most people don't know that Picasso, by like the time he reached 18, was had mastered figurative art and could paint like. Um, Titian or Michelangelo. I mean, he he could just, he could paint literally anything in a completely realistic manner. He had mastered it. So what he did is he went through this process of forgetting all that he had learned. Yeah. And he specifically wanted to be in a childlike state, exactly what you were talking about before. And what emerged from that process of learning how to, re- relearning how to be like a child was that he created this new form of art called cubism that ended up determining and like decimating in a good way the whole art world of the 20th century because cubism allowed him to portray multiple perspectives at once, like multiple angles. It's like if three people saw the same thing and those three visions of the same reality were converged into the same vision point. And so he, so basically Picasso, by forgetting everything he learned, invented something completely and utterly new that no one had really understood or seen before um and it, it came across as really grotesque and gross and ugly to a lot of people like people were offended actually offended at his sensibilities how could you make something that ugly but they didn't understand that the soul of where he was going with it or what he was trying to accomplish and how significant it was that he was trying to get back to a a, a pre-structural time knowing that you never can do that so um i think flow and soul uh, again to some people are going to be much more important than like like for example somebody who's like playing a tom Waits style of like blues or soul music is going to be a lot more into the feeling of the moment than someone who's trying to play a really technical form of modern jazz you know just as a, <laughs> a, a drastic example but soul come and flow come into all forms of are in music at some point, right? So, oh yeah, for sure. and it and it depends on, you know, it's like no one's getting sued for having the the taste that they have either. You know, it's like those <laughs> those people is within their right to to hate Picasso. You know, it's like we're <laughs> it's a it's a free 
or at least we're in a free country now, apparently. Um, but Picasso, but, uh, like, but have you ever seen his guitar player? His um, his oh, blue, yeah. his blue period. I mean, yeah, when I yeah. saw that in person, that painting for the first time, I seriously cried. Like it was, mm-hmm. he emotes something through all of the breaking of all those rules that gets us something super humanly visceral, and it reminded me of times of deep sadness because it mm-hmm. it has it carries that like spirit of it, you know, so. Yeah, like what is soul? Like what? It, what is it? I don't even know. <laughs> Jeez, that's that's a good question. I don't know that I'm deep enough for that. Um, I, I don't know. You, it's it's that's tapping into mystery stuff, and I'm almost fine just calling it that. You know, I was going to say when you were talking about Picasso, I was thinking, well, yeah, he he got back to searching and he got back to wandering and wondering. One of my favorite drummers ever. Uh, just put out this sort of mini memoir book. Um, his name's Billy Martin, um, and he put out this book called Wandering, and talked a lot about his. And this guy is just wildly creative. He's such an amazing guy, um, and talked about how for him, walking in the woods was the best thing he could ever do. He he got to this state of of wandering and looking and and exploring, and for him, getting in that state of being was very, very nurturing to him, uh, making stuff, you know, and that's some, again, that's some, that's some childlike stuff. And I don't know, it's like to, to wander, it has to be, you have to be in the unknown a little bit. It has to be, there has to be some mystery there. You know, you have to be, you know, you could argue that like any people breaking any grounds, you know, or any, anyone who's ever done something similar to Picasso in that way, I'm fine with someone speculating that that is somehow a search for God, you know, that that is this exploring, wandering, searching, creative expression, you know, that is, that is uh, searching for the source, that is constantly, constantly searching for the source. And so many great artists will tell you how they're, how they're never there, how they will never be finished, how they'll never do their best work, you know, um, like many people say that who have no faith, you know, as, as we would label it, you know, Trey Anastasio, the, the guitarist of fish, um, talks about this stuff all the time. And I don't know what he thinks about God, but he absolutely believes in a, in a greater creative force, like very, very deeply. And he will like testify to, to that process, you know, to that searching and that wandering and that, getting in touch with mystery, you know? Um, so I mean, why it matters, I, I think we're, I think we're hardwired to, to always be going at it, to be honest. I think it's some part of this weird human experience. <laughs> you know? Well, yeah, the, the meaning of life, like if it's not mysterious and larger than us, then a lot of us would be like, well, what's the point? Like, I want to believe in a wonderful, mysterious world that I don't know all of it because that means that I haven't figured it all out and there's always somewhere more to go. Like, I think, I don't know. It's easy to feel really claustrophobic without that hope. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, part of being present, I think is, is understanding that, understanding that that life's a process. And I certainly struggle with this all the time. I struggle with it every, I struggle with it before every single show I do. Um, I try to get myself to a place of, just being there and not thinking about the end of the show and not having my mind be, be two hours ahead of me, you know, or having my mind be 20 steps ahead. Um, it's probably the hardest thing to do as an adult, I feel like, but you know, it's a parallel to 
you know, that's, that really is how life is. Yeah, there are checkpoints, you know, and there's times where we finish things and, and move on. But it's one big, it's kind of one big process, you know. So in that, in that instance, yeah, it's like process. It's never ending and is always heading somewhere, you know. Yeah, and we, and we blink and we miss life, you know, for our, if our mind's always on the next thing. We're not, we're not really enjoying the moment. I mean, that's, that sounds like a dumb thing to say maybe, but, but I, I mean it like no, in a really not, visceral sense. I'll, most of us haven't mastered that being present to ourselves and to others. I think it's really hard. And I think it's scary too. I think it's, it can be like very insecure, you know, <laughs> it's like, you're not, because you're mentally trying to prep for, you know, what's, what's coming next. And yet you're not, you're not fully there. No, it's it's a hard. Yeah, because wandering without a destination—that's like that is very scary. Like not even getting off the beaten path, like not having a path, just wandering and like trusting your instincts that you'll be able to get back home. But that's not the point. The point is to literally find something unexplored and in something that's new and meaningful to you. Yeah, but that's that's really cool. One of my favorite feminist philosophers and who I think is one of the most creative scholars who's ever lived is Mary Daly. And she, in her, her philosophical autobiography, she calls it, she's constantly like in her work, uh, unfortunately she's passed away, but in her work, she's constantly making up new words and just playing with words and just laugh out loud playing with words. But she talks about the importance of wanderlust and wonderlust together. It's going Mm -hmm. beyond, she calls it spiraling beyond the galaxies of what we know. We've known even, for her like that meant spiraling beyond the power structures of what we know to find something more life-giving and creative yeah yeah so jesse this has been such a good conversation it's kind of done my heart good (laughs) (laughs) yay yay (laughs) i'm all i'm all about that oh my gosh living in new york will make you uh pay attention to things that nurture you and things that don't so i'm glad (laughs) this is this is one of those things. Yeah. You got your your like your tree on your block that you go visit? <laughs> I got I got my West Village. I got my Tempur-Pedic bed with like a little tent I've built over it. Um <laughs> I've got my I've got my tea mug. Yeah, you sort of you, you learn Yeah, you're just very intentional about about uh taking care, you know. Yeah. Well, cultivating that environment that that creativity needs to to function and flourish, right? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I haven't been creative at all since I've been here. I've just sort of been hanging on. I mean, I, I have, but at such an extreme rate with this show that uh, that I've just sort of been hanging on for dear life in general. Yeah, I know that show keeps you real busy, huh? Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's a lot. It's tiring in, in ways that I did not expect. Yeah. As is any great endeavor in life, I suppose. True. True, <laughs> in, true that. <laughs> Awesome. Well, it has been so good to talk to you and have you on the show. And maybe we can have you on again sometime. And yeah, happy to. People should go see your show. Where they where can they see it? What theater are you at? Um, so it's at the Orpheum Theater in the East Village of New York City. Um, the show I'm in is, uh, yeah, we're just there. We're just there constantly. Um, there's eight shows a week you can just come. But the U.S. tour of Stomp will be going out this coming January. And most of the dates are up on the Stomp website um, right now. There, It's going to be all around the country from uh, January until May. So if you're elsewhere in the country, you can probably probably catch a show of them there. And 
And if you and like yes. loud noises and people banging on trash cans and, <laughs> and, and stomping their feet and clapping their hands, then this is your jam. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. It's a cool show. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very special. And it's not always loud, actually. A, a common misconception. There are loud parts for sure, but, it's, um, but it runs the gamut. It's very musical. It's very funny. It's, uh, it's very theatrical. Um, I, I definitely recommend it. And that's not just because I'm in it. I, I think it's a, it's a great thing. Nice. Very cool. Well, way to be proud of your work and good luck to you in the future. Thank you very much. Cheers. All right. Thank you so much for joining us. Our, Thanks for having me. Yeah. Yeah. And, and our audience, thank you for listening. And we will be back next week. Have a great day. 